Hello and welcome to the Journey Further podcast, a show where we learn from the people and businesses who are on a mission to do things differently. Today's guest fits the bill perfectly. Pip Jamieson is founder and CEO of The Dots, the biggest challenger to LinkedIn. They describe themselves as a community for no-collar professionals or people who don't wear suits to work. As you'll hear from this conversation, Pip's drive and motivation for growing the business as rapidly as she has runs really deep. Her and her team are working incredibly hard and passionately to define the future of how we recruit, how we collaborate and how we all find purpose in our jobs. Pip lives on a canal boat on the Regent's Canal in North London with her husband and their dog, Pi, who joins the conversation at one point. So listen out for that. I hope you enjoy the show. Pip, thank you so, so much for uh, taking the time to join me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'd just like to kick off, as always, by asking you the question, what's the wrong you want to write? Yeah, so so for me, it's definitely that the moral fibre of existing social networks, all the big players in the social networking space is just corrupt. And uh, what we have built is something that isn't leading to a positive, inclusive and um, forward thinking society that should be built for everyone. And so, yeah, I just get really bothered by everything that Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, has to offer everything from algorithm bias to valuing you know privacy over hate speech and for you know they're just existing north star either being just for the founders to become uber famous uh, or just um you know making as much money and not really caring about the impact they're having on you know society and the world off the back of what they've built wow okay well when do you feel that things started to go awry well i mean gosh you know you you know it's it's so funny social networks have now been around for a very long time um and i i guess in many ways people wouldn't have necessarily foreseen the beasts that they have created but i think you know they're just not changing um you know everything you see around facebook these days um is means that they're they aren't trying to really address what they have created and yeah i guess i'm just that mad founder that wanted to create a better solution and uh you know i'm a crazy founder who wanted to take on linkedin (laughs) and like we'll we'll get a little bit into talking about the dots and how all that works i guess linkedin to begin with is is kind of you've been very open about kind of positioning the dots as an alternative to linkedin What's your take on LinkedIn right now? Do you use it very much? Does it really anger you, frustrate you? Yeah, I mean, I don't use it really at all. I mean, I've got a profile on there, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm literally, if someone wants to contact me, please don't contact me on LinkedIn. It's like the biggest insult anyone could do. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, LinkedIn was built for a traditional white collar workforce and their whole product was built around that and with it has kind of amplified the biases that exist in corporate working um you know biases around um you know white men are the best at business biases around you know where you went to school or what university you went to is really important Um, And it really just perpetuates everything that is wrong with 
corporations. And I guess what we've built is an alternative that is built around a modern workforce. Um, we like to call our community no-collar professionals. What on mm. earth does that mean? Um, it means people who are adopting a more fluid way of work. Um, you know, people who aren't just full-timers, but freelancers, um, slashy-based careers. But I guess on a, a sort of a much deeper level, the community we serve are, they value things, not just money. And LinkedIn is very, very much built around that principle of, you know, money is the North Star of a career. And it's not, you know, you've got one life. Um, while money is incredibly important and everyone has to keep food on the table, so is, you know, working with people that respect and value you, so is feeling like you're working in an inclusive environment, um, so is actually working on something that's having a positive and meaningful kind of um, benefit to the world. And I think that is very much the mindset of the future and that's the community that we look after. And it's so funny with being in the kind of, you know, COVID era, because I guess we were built for the future of work. We just didn't quite expect the future to arrive so quickly. Yeah. So, you know, our community is very fluid, work remote, you know, they, they're used to working from home and it's kind of been magic to help them during this time. Yeah, no, it's interesting you say about the community because it seems like you place a lot of value on or give people the opportunity to really showcase the value of the work that they're doing and the projects that they're actually delivering and things they're creating rather than just that thing of creating a bit of a professional persona of yourself yeah you know I mean? exactly so i guess instead of a cv which is you know the mainstay of corporate the world and how linkedin you know build you build a profile you you build up a cv the way the dots works is people post projects and a project can be anything from creating an app to creating a magazine to creating a full building. And then the way the platform works is then you credit the full team that worked on that project. Um, and so, you know, if it was the app, it was the UI designer, UX designer, front end engineer, back end engineer, head of product, head of growth, etc. And it's a recognition that, you know, building or creating anything is a team sport, it's a collaborative sport. So I think the way that, you know, LinkedIn thinks is very individualistic and the way we think is very collaborative, that, you know, the individual is definitely the priority on LinkedIn while we're the priority is the collaboration and people coming together to make, make ideas happen, which is actually how things work. Um, yeah. So. And you, you guys obviously recruit for some really big companies and then a ton of smaller, medium-sized organizations as well. What what kind of, um, I guess, what kind of challenges do the bigger organizations come to you with when it comes to recruitment? Why do they end up coming to you guys versus another source or agency or whatever it might be? Yeah, I think the reason they come to us originally is is actually around diversity. So, you know, of our uh, we've got over half a million members. Um, and I love men, by the way. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, the feminist men are the best men in the world. Um, but uh, yeah, I over of our community, sixty-eight percent of our community is female. 
uh, 31% is BAME, so that's black, Asian minority, ethnic, 16% LGBT+, but we also do a lot of work on socioeconomic diversity and neurodiversity, which is uh, dyslexia, autism, dyspraxia, ADHD. So actually, a l we come onto the radar of corporates a lot for that, first and mm. foremost, and then once they kind of get the platform and then they start using it and start connecting with incredibly diverse talent, then they stick, which has been a wonderful place to be. So that's... Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, I mean, there's been so much stuff in the news. We'll come back to the to the COVID stuff, but like the diversity aspect as well. So many businesses now more than ever trying to figure out how they kind of tackle that. And it is such a complex thing. What What would you say are the sort of most simple but most effective steps which companies can take in that area when it comes to their recruitment and their and their teams yeah i mean the reality is is that it, you're completely right it's very complex and there's no silver bullet i think the most important first step is to educate yourself you know firstly i i, f I still spend time educating companies on that diversity is good for business profitability creativity innovation all of that stuff is proven you know mm. there is endless research so that's kind of the first step educate yourself i think it's also in terms of thinking about diversity you know diversity is about building teams that reflect society um, and the reason it's important to do that is because we all have biases and if we want to build products for everyone we need to have teams that reflect everyone so a perfect example of that is you know when seat belts were first invented they were invented by homogenous team, um, a homogenous male team. And what happened is that they didn't test seatbelts on women crash test dummies. So what ended up happening is even though women are less likely to die in accidents, I'm sorry, are less likely to have accidents, they're more likely to die in accidents. And so I think diversity, you people have got to just think about it as gender. It's around everyone is different it's around ethnicity gender sexuality neurodiversity socioeconomic movement and there's pie <laughs> <laughs> hello pie. my dog my dog is agreeing <laughs> very, she's a feminist too a mathematical yeah. feminist called pie <laughs> she's she's very she's very enlightened <laughs> she's very enlightened come here pie anyway well she should calm down <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think it's firstly, you've got to think about it as holistical. Um, and the other thing is like, you know, the old excuse is you couldn't find great people who are diverse. Now, that excuse is like just pointless anymore because the dots exist. I think the important, the thing that keeps me slightly up at night is companies hire diverse talent through us really easily and great diverse talent. Whether they can keep them is another matter. So I think the most important thing any company needs to do is first focus on inclusivity. Uh, mm -hmm. Is this an environment set up that if you're hiring diverse talent, you're going to be able to retain that talent? Otherwise, it's, it's a waste of time getting a token diverse pe person in the building because you're going to churn through them incredibly yeah. quickly. Yeah, as you say, you've got to have both both pieces of it. It's not just the it's not just the recruitment or the marketing or the the brand which you try and create to attract a diverse range of people. Hey there, I hope you're finding the show interesting so far. This is just a quick invite for you to join the Journey Further Book Club. This is a free learning community designed for time pressured marketers. We read the best business books and share bite-sized insight from every chapter. So even if you're too pressed to do the reading, you can still action the most valuable stuff. We're featuring some great books over the next few months, including Seth Godin's forthcoming title, The Practice, 
just go to journeyfurther.com or follow the link in the show notes to sign up. Back to the boat. I wanted to ask you a little bit about COVID then. And as you say, like the dots is kind of set up to serve people who are already working in a much more flexible way. What have been the biggest sort of shifts you've seen in the last um, few months? What's been the biggest impact you've seen on the sort of world of work and I guess how you guys are operating? Yeah, I guess, you know, the remote working is now here to stay. You know, you only have to <laughs> see the London streets at the moment to see how many businesses are going to stay remote. And, you know, Twitter, for example, has, you know, now rem- moved remote first. So have we. Um, so that's been a massive shift um, and a wonderful shift, I think, for our community because it opens up opportunities anywhere in the world. You know, you don't have to live in London anymore to get opportunities. You can work for it anywhere. Um, and, you know, with that comes more flexibility, especially if you are a mother or a parent. Um, so I love that that trend is now here to stay. Um, and I think it's, you know, that companies are having to embrace that more flexible work environment um, and you know kids are jumping into zoom calls and you know that whole persona that I hate which is like you have your work person and your you know home person all of those walls have just dropped because you know work and home has been one for you know the last few months and I think that's such a wonderful healthy thing that we can all kind of bring our whole selves to work and I hope that trend is kind of here to stay be you know it represents our community but I hope it actually you know goes into the corporate world as well yeah hopefully it's reduced that stigma of not being the, the presenteeism hopefully what about from a creativity perspective though like that remoteness and remote teams and creativity collaboration how do you balance those things I think that's exactly what we're geared for is, you know, right now you can't do that serendipitous, go to an event, bump into someone, start collaborating with them. And, you know, events, God knows when they'll start opening up again. So we have a whole kind of uh, what we call our ask forum where people do kind of collaborate to call outs or help find um, people to help answer their questions or any advice on their career. So it's been lovely enabling that and helping that and I guess you know off the back of it we've had insane growth since lockdown which has been interesting to watch and a bit like a roller coaster as well <laughs> yeah, yeah what have been the biggest challenges along along the way oh gosh so many I mean firstly uh yeah we have an event section on the dots where people um, people can connect with professional events and I really always passionately believed in in-person events because you know, LinkedIn do it the Linda way, which is watching videos, but the best learning actually comes for face-to-face. So, mm. you know, we actually had to change the whole tech within a week, so it facilitated virtual events. Um, but what I love about that is, you know, we suddenly, I think we had a 5X increase in the amount of event, event attendees. And what we realized is that by having virtual events, it was accessible to everyone. So a lot of the events that were on the dots were London-based events, and now you could be anywhere in the world and attend mm. those events. And I love that, that's sort of really great. But, you know, challenging at the time where you've got a whole tech built around physical events and you have to pivot it into virtual overnight. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the other challenge is it's just been a bit heartbreaking um, in the fact that, you know, our community has been really struggling. So 41% of our community are freelance. Um, 
and they got hit even before lockdown you know they mm. contracts weren't being extended they were the first people to go so I think it's sort of been quite heartbreaking having to you know see all of the quite um, you know devastating us that are going up about how do I cope with mass redundancies I can't afford I can't afford to pay my rent what are your recommendations on finding work and that stuff's been sort of hard but also nice to feel that we can give back even if people are on hard times because you've like seen in the news big organizations like airbnb or monzo and like organizations which have had massive growth like unbelievable growth and you think oh there must be fairly bulletproof now to some extent and then it's just like whoa my linkedin feed is like full of people leaving monzo or leaving that and it's just yeah it kind of shows the fragility of of those like high growth organizations to an extent yeah i mean you only have to think about like even brands like Google or Facebook, they're dependent on, I mean, they have got more money than God, but, um, you know, they are dependent on advertising revenue. So, like, everyone's been impacted in this. It, it just, it's impacted everyone. Um, so, yeah, we just got to get through it, I guess. Yeah. I guess that advertising revenue is something which comes back to what you're saying about the wrong to write. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It, it's the thing which uh, ultimately guides how these platforms have to work right yeah yeah i mean 100 percent. i mean facebook's obsession with daily active members is all about just having more eyeballs on their content all the time so they can they can sell more ads you know same with twitter you know why does twitter still have trump on twitter it's because he has a huge amount of people viewing his content every day which drives advertising and you know mm -hmm. this is part why these the, the business models of these businesses are completely broken because they perpetuate bad behavior and it, it, they're just building digital crack, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good way of putting it. <laughs> I, I, do, I do find it difficult when I see the likes of Twitter and then they have to come out against a specific individual and say, oh, well, we've banned this individual, we've removed this one tweet because my take is it's like, well, it's just a gesture, you doing that, it's just a PR thing yeah below the surface there's as you say much more underlying issues with it yeah i mean i've spent a lot of time in the valley and you know it's such a bubble you know it's one of these places where i remember i, I was on a, a female kind of trade mission over there and we spent some time at facebook and they were showing us around the campus and they're like yeah and it was designed by the guys that designed disneyland and i'm like going oh my god this is horrific you know you're meant to be building a product that reflects society and you live in this bubble um, and I think it really bothered me how, you know, you're in one of the, or maybe even the richest city in the world, and the infrastructure is disgusting, you know, like really awful roads, awful kind of, you know, there has just been no care and love in there. And then the homelessness problem, and you're just like, this is just so weird. And these are the people that are dictating our lives. These are the people that are valuing privacy over hate speech. It's just it's just crazy if they actually lived in the real world they might actually value the things that actually everyone else values um, and that's what really bothers me mm. and when you talk about like what everyone else values when it comes to sort of jobs in the world of work there's like a lot more has been said in the last sort of few years around i guess particularly millennials are singled out but like millennials looking for a more purpose in their work or looking to work for more 
values sort of driven organizations what's your take on that is it just millennials or is that just is it much broader that's a change in people's behavior and thinking I think it's broader. Um, you know, obviously it is a massive trend with millennials and even more so with Gen Z. Um, but, uh, you know, I, <laughs> there's plenty of people who aren't millennials, myself included, <laughs> who are valuing that more and more and actually kind of realise, hey, you know, what is life about? Isn't it a better place if we leave it? if we leave the world a better place than we found it. Um, so I don't think it's just, I think it's more of a mindset that, you know, a shift in, in mindset. But yeah, I mean, there's data around millennials um, that they're less likely to work for businesses whose values are um, don't align with their own. And actually, we see it on the dots. So if there's a company that has um, the bit bad press in a week, we'll actually see the applicants plummet overnight. So we can see a real world kind of data point of, and I won't mention brands, <laughs> but um, real world data point of said brand in the press doing something unethical. And then you, you correspond that to the applicants that you see. And uh, yeah, it's super fascinating. So yeah, it's definitely a trend for our community, but our community is not just millennial. It's, it's, it's very, very broad. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wonder how closely those companies are looking at the, you're obviously seeing a correlation. I wonder how evident it is to some of those like businesses that are that are affected as well. Yeah, who knows? I mean, hilariously, a lot of times jobs just get put up by a kind of an HR manager, whether they report those stats back to their, their, their senior management. God knows. <laughs> what in your view is a good process of looking and hiring talent these days like that that kind of um idea of an hr department of old is something which a lot of businesses have left behind and really worked on like what what is the best way to look for great talent these days yeah, I think it should be team-based now. Yeah, that you know that <laughs> recruiter that sits in an organisation and recruits for all the different teams is crazy because they don't understand the teams or what the teams are looking for. So, I think having taking having the team take responsibility for the hire is really good. I think first and foremost you should hire by committee, and the reason I say that is because we all have biases. And we all just, and it's just natural, it's just human nature. And we will always kind of gravitate to someone a bit more like us. So for example, I used to bias extroverts through interviews, um, and I, which was awful because some of my best team members are introverts. So the great thing about hiring by committee and you know that committee needs to reflect society in itself is that you are, kind of contradicting, not contradicting, that's uh, so dyslexia, but <laughs> you're basically alleviating each other's bias from the recruitment process. Yeah. And so that's the first thing. I think the other thing um, that I learned the hard way um, is that hiring for values fit first is the most, so the first interview we do is values fit. And the reason being is, um, you know, I've gone through a whole recruitment process and then at the end of it being wowed by a candidate only then to get, have a like do a values interview and realize they're sort of falling down on one or two of our values and thinking, oh, it's all right, we'll, f we'll be able to change them. We never can, they're the ones that don't last. So we now do values fit um, from the beginning. Um, and I do, I do those first interviews, every single first interview um, for values fit. 
what's a value fit interview like like very open-ended questions or very specific questions or yeah you just let them talk so it's specific questions um match to your values so one of our values is positivity and it doesn't mean positivity for positivity's sake i don't want people to be yes people but it's about coming up with solutions not problems mm -hmm. and so yeah one of the questions that's great is how would your friends describe you and literally just sit there and let them talk and then um, a key thing to that is as they're talking, at, while they're, when they're finished, just, just stay silent for a bit and let them keep talking. And people go deeper and deeper and you can kind of nudge them along the process by repeating the last word they said. And the deeper they go, the more they give you about their personality. And it's mm. really fascinating. You definitely, definitely get the non-positive stories coming through. Um, so yeah, we've kind of geared questions around each of our values and then we just let them talk and nudge them and you kind of get deeper and deeper into who they are as people that's interesting that's a really interesting approach do you get some candidates who are kind of completely unprepared to, for that type of like questioning i think maybe they're prepared when they're first asked but then when you don't go on to the next question and just keep digging down that's mm. what they get less prepared with and that's where you get the real golden the golden nuggets so yeah it's just sort of being being quiet and nudging them to keep talking and go deeper and a good way to do that is to go so why is that really important to you and if you keep asking that they go deeper and deeper and deeper and um, the moment you ask them a different question their brain moves I guess to a different file and you've lost the any of the nuggets you get from that first question it's interesting isn't it because it's like how you were saying about the 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 difference between white collar and no collar like we we're set up in a way to interrogate someone's like specific uh skills like how good are they at maths or how good are they at writing or whatever it might be but like very little has been done to develop like well how do you test if someone is open-minded or how do you test if someone is fits to one of our values yeah, and it's, it's you know, the, the skill bit weirdly is the easy bit. Like you can do that with a test. The, the kind of deeper fundamental values driven are, is this a team that's gonna work together and complement each other? That, that's harder. Do you do and I think the, the other tip is just never hire someone like a person you've already got in your organization. Mm. You know, you've already got that person, find another. You know, it's, you know, you really want diverse people within your organization. And the problem with that is that you know, when you're in the inside, diversity can feel messy. And so actually there's a brilliant piece of research that um, interviewed or did workshops with students. One team was completely homogenous and one was fully diverse and they set them challenges. Um, and they interviewed them after doing the challenge on how they thought they performed. And now the homogenous team thought they were amazing. They nailed it. They were all on the same page. They got the, they got the brief, they kind of nailed the product. The fully diverse team thought they did an awful job because they were all fighting, talking over each other. Anyway, obviously when you went to mark the pro project, the fully diverse team's project was m much better. And so the, the challenge with diversity is it can feel messy, but it's better. It's just better for everything. <laughs> That's interesting. So maybe the more diverse team you have, there's a, there's a challenge there about motivation 
or alignment? I think it's definitely not motivation. Um, it's definitely alignment, but that's a good thing. It's healthy conflict. It's people coming and looking at things differently. And that's exactly what you want. You don't want everyone looking at a solution in exactly the same way because that's, that's not creativity and that's not collaboration. Um, that's just groupthink. Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to move on a little bit and sort of ask you about the UK specifically. So I'm, I'm right thinking you, you were in Australia and New Zealand for a long time, right? Which is where the dots kind of spawned. But now you're now you're in London. And I guess the UK is still a real powerhouse of the creative industries, right? Where do you see that kind of industry going from here in terms of the trends? I guess I'm thinking particularly around sort of agencies versus in-house relationships when it comes to doing like really amazing creative work what's your take what's your take on that side of things and where things are going yeah i mean gosh we, we're so broad um in terms of our industry base so we look after everything from tech to advertising i think if you're talking specifically about advertising yeah we're definitely seeing the rise of the collective but we're actually seeing the rise of the collective across multiple different industries as well and so what i mean by that is um you know, people who are putting together teams that are big teams. So there's an amazing company, for example, called On Road here in, in London, where they used to work at a traditional advertising agency. Three of the leads left and started up this um, collective called On Road. Now, On Road's actually 800 people. But what they do, it's, you know, it's three of them and 800 freelancers. Their biggest clients are Google and Nike. And Google and Nike will drop a client brief into them and they'll just farm it out to different freelancers based on the work that what work that they need. And I love I love that because you're actually for clients it's great, right? Because you're actually getting the best people to do the work as opposed to mm. traditionally where you get the same people doing the work just because that's what came in from the client. So that rise of the collective is massive and we just see it across the board on everything you know people banding together to build collectives to build products to build startups to build um competitors to ex existing corporations how does that play out in terms of culture in those collectives or organizations as well though i guess like a lot of agencies talk about well you should work with us because we've got this amazing culture which produces this great work how does that play out if as you say a different type of model which is like uh, a, a centralized thing, but a community of an assorted different array of people working in different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think in the end, like this whole time has proven that you don't need to be in a physical space to work well and collaboratively together. Mm. So, you know, I think it's sort of um, a bit of a, a, a kind of a myth that that kind of big corporate is the right place. Um, and I think brands are just wising up to, you know, they can get work a lot cheap, more cheaply without having to pay for big offices at the agencies. Um, but they also get the best people for the jobs. And so, yeah, I think there's just been a massive, massive shift that will continue. Oh, obviously, um, personally, I think advertising industry is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> for, yeah, can we, can we dive into that, please? <laughs> well, we see it in our data. You know, if you, when we launched sort of like I'd say around four years ago, if you look at the kind of applicants, the, the kind of 
and median number of people that were applying for roles within the ad industry, that was much higher than it is now. The talent's going elsewhere, the top people are going elsewhere, and you just see the monumental rise of people wanting to work or start their own businesses, work for tech companies, work for startups, work for scale-ups, and, and moving outside of ad land. Um, so if you're not going to attract the best talent, it's going to be very hard to survive as well. So they've got two awful tailwinds. <laughs> well, why has the shine gone off it seemingly? Why, why do you think? Um, I think it will. I mean, it's gone off it for brands because they've started to see the how effective it can be to work with um, to work with collectives. I think from a from a talent perspective, it's 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 a business that hasn't moved with the times when it comes to modern working flexible working, inclusive working, diversity. So, you know, there are obviously exceptions to the rule, but as a whole, it's it's a pretty white male stale industry. Only three, was it 3%? 3% of um, executive creative directors are women, for example. Mm. Is there an element there around the, the, maybe the moral fiber of it as well? Like you were talking about the moral fiber in terms of the social media companies and stuff, but I think maybe some people kind of maybe starting to question, it's like, is the job I want just simply helping to sell more stuff to yeah. more people in a world where we should probably be consuming less? Yeah. And, you know, advertising in the industry is they just service providers, aren't they? They're only as good as the people that they're that are in there. And if those people are going elsewhere and starting their own things, then, you know, it all sort of starts falling apart. And uh, who wants to sell McDonald's ads, really? Mm. Th thinking about it, thinking about advertising in more of like a problem solving sense is a much more, yeah, maybe open ended way of considering it i mean you know there are as i said there are exceptions to the rules and the brands and the the ad agencies that are focusing on more like actually creating wonderful solutions that are better for society the ones that are doing really well you know i i, I mean i love i don't know have you seen the adidas gyms all around london where you can actually go and work out and it's sponsored by adidas what a wonderful solution something mm. like that but that's the exception not the rule it's usually like you know billboards <laughs> yeah yeah no, it's interesting. I guess, as you say, pe people are the the barriers have been lowered for creating new things or innovating. It's not innovation doesn't have to be left to your advertising agency. The best innovation is happening by one person in their bedroom or a small group of people, maybe on a yeah. on a barge. Uh, <laughs> like from 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 when i've heard you speak and stuff before it's like you personally seem to have a real get a real buzz from just creating things as well i think uh, well it's funny actually i i like i'm i am just the natural i realize i just connect dots that's what i do like i've always done my entire life like i just really love connecting things and whether mm. that's connecting ideas or whether that's connecting people that's just how my brain works i think it's actually partly a symptom of dyslexia and so yeah i mean you know i'm product is everything for me but just because I've, I'm so connected to the community I see their problems happening all the time and I just desperately try to just design solutions to help them with those problems and um, that's kind of what I do naturally and the same with people I just love I love connecting people and that relationship coming together and being meaningful so I just had to build a platform that kind of supercharged that because <laughs> I can't I can't be I'm not scalable <laughs> <laughs> what are the what are the what's the like the problem that you're really trying to solve at the moment or what's kind of on the roadmap of where you want to get the dots to 
Yeah, I mean, for us, it's really just helping our community navigate this time. So, you know, as I said, a lot of our community are have lost work or furloughed or been made redundant. And the reality is there are just aren't the jobs there at the moment. And, you know, we're in for a pretty rough ride. So everything we're creating right now is just to support them during this time. And mm -hmm. a lot of that's actually emotional support. So kind of our ask forum has been massive. We signed up 500 mentors who are helping answer questions on the dots at the moment just trying to support people kind of emotionally or advice on are they eligible for government assistance um, and you know in obviously a huge amount of work around Black Lives Matter as well so we have a whole hub on the dots which is supporting black talent and Black Lives Matter call outs as well and so that's been our biggest focus is just trying to help people navigate now um, and part of that is also kind of all the virtual events that are on the platform because that's about upskilling because the reality is there just might never be the jobs that people have lost again or they'll never be able to get them. So if they can pivot into either a different industry or a slightly different skill set, they're going to be more equipped for the future um, that we're about to embrace. Mm, yeah, I guess it's the very real fear that things are going to get worse before they, before they get better. Uh, yeah. I mean, I am an, I'm forever an optimist, but even I pretty sure that that's the case i mean we are going to have a furlough cliff coming um, mm. but at the same time the thing that makes me excited is also the monumental rise in remote roles that we've seen posted on the dots and also a huge amount of people going you know if they're in a position to do so now is the time to start my own business or get that side hustle off the ground mm. and i think the other wonderful thing is seeing is the huge appetite for people to give back and how kind people are and I've seen just so many seniors who are in a position to give back right now are really spending this time doing that. And that, that just gives me hope for society and the world more broadly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's much, it's much needed as well. Pip, I just wanted to move towards the end of the, the podcast by asking you three quick fire-ish questions. Don't worry if the answers aren't too quick fire. Sometimes they could be, uh, they could be nice and long and detailed. Firstly, what did you used to believe that you no longer believe in? I really struggled as a child because of my dyslexia. So, you know, I was, I was, um, yeah, I could barely read till I was 11 and I was never really told that um, I would be able to achieve anything in the world. And um, so what I came to learn, and just, just fun fact for anyone that's on, on listening right now, 35% uh, of entrepreneurs are dyslexic and 40% of self-made millionaires. So if you're dyslexic listening, congratulations, it's a superpower. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, I guess what I've come to believe is that you, if you put your mind to it and are open to learning, you, you can learn and do anything. Um, and that's what I've come to believe the hard way. Mm. Um, secondly, if this wasn't your mission, what would be? Oh, definitely carbon environmental. So I, uh, <laughs> I, had a, I had a nightmare last year. I looked at all the flights I did and I worked out my carbon footprint and it made me physically sick. Um, so my husband's actually an environmental consultant, so we started looking into um, into offset schemes, and he once he looked at them, he was like, they're all black boxes. So um, we actually bought a wood um, at the beginning of the year, oh, and wow. every every Sunday, it's on the Kent Sussex border. Like we can't do anything on it except plant trees, but every Sunday I go and plant trees. So if oh, I wasn't wow. doing that, I'd just scale the wood, I think, <laughs> and buy more woods and plant more trees, and that's what I do. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the offset schemes, I've also tried to get my head around what 
actually is going on there and I haven't I mean I probably haven't paid enough attention to trying to figure it out but I've always been confused yeah I mean they're black boxes you don't really know what you're putting your money into the reality is though if you plant trees it helps so plant trees so that's what we did we bought a we bought a forest and uh we're just planting trees. I've become obsessed with oaks. Like I'm obsessed with oaks and my husband thinks I'm mad because I'll never see see them grown. You know, they take so long to grow. But I love the idea that generations down the line will kind of come across the 700 year oak and we planted it. And we name each one, which is really weird as well. Yeah, so, so. so just tell me a bit more about the wood. Sorry, how big is the wood and what do you plant? Various different trees or all of the same tree and you will... Yeah, so basically it's a bit like an allotment. So it's it's a mass of wood that used to be a commercial wood. So they used to plant commercial pine trees. Okay. Um, and they subdivided it into smaller plots. So it's kind of semi-affordable. Um, you can't do anything on it. You, you can camp there, um, but you can't like build a hut or a house or anything like that. Yeah. And um, so every, you have like this kind of allotment area. And yeah, it's just about building back diversity of the wood because the, uh, the site used to actually be ancient woodland and they knocked all the ancient trees down to build these pines or to plant these pines. So actually, the, weirdly, the first thing we had to do is lock down trees to actually right. plant new trees because as with society, diversity in woodland is good. So having just pines is actually really unhealthy for the pines. So we've basically locked down pines and started to build oaks and or native, just basically native British trees and that's what we're doing. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> um, and finally, Pip, if you could recommend one book for members of the Journey Further book club to read, what would it be? Definitely Invisible Women by Caroline Oh my God, this is where my dyslexia comes in. Credido Perez. <laughs> I probably got that completely wrong. Apologies. Um, which is basically exposing data bias in the world. And it's, you know, it is a really important book because it is completely data driven, but it, sh it really clearly articulates the challenge with building products or services when you have an homogenous team and the biases that we are amplifying and creating. And it's, it's a really important read for, for everyone, I think, to read, to understand. But we've, 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 if we want to build products and services for everyone, we need to build teams that reflect society. I've got, I've got a copy of it on my desk, actually, and I'm, I'm, ah. about, I'm about halfway through it. Um, yeah. I'd love to speak to Caroline, so I might use, I might use yeah, this yeah, yeah, plug <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a way back into her, uh, to, <laughs> to her PR yeah. people. I love it. I was actually given it originally by um, Catherine Zenstrom, who's the wife of Nicholas Zenstrom, who runs Atomico, um, okay. the VC fund. And she actually gave it to everyone at Atomico, which is really nice. I think it's great. So, yeah, it's, it's nice that, you know, there's a few VCs in the world that are taking time to educate themselves on these things, which mm. is brilliant. Pip, it's been an absolutely pleasure speaking with you and, and learning more about the dots and the, and the mission you're on and your, your take on the world. Um, <laughs> thank you for it thanks for taking the time brilliant thank you for having me and yeah pi says bye yeah <laughs> thank you for your contribution as well pi wow thanks for listening to the very end there i loved speaking with pip and i would urge you to join the dots have a look around and get engaged with that community if i can ask a big favor it is just to drop a rating or a review in your podcast app I would really appreciate that and it would help more people discover Pip's story. 
And finally, another plug for the Journey Further book club. Do you ever feel that there's so many interesting books out there, but you just have so little time to read? We're on a mission to solve that problem. Just click the link in the show notes to find out more about how it works and sign up for free today. See you soon. <laughs>